Let me ask you something. When you think of a place like Mississippi, what do you see? Especially if you're not from here, what are some words that come to mind? Barefoot, backwards, racist, stupid, uneducated, country? What about dangerous, ignorant, or dirty, the punchline of every joke? Or how about God's mistake? God doesn't make mistakes. Hush your mouth. God made plenty of mistakes. You ever been to Mississippi? (laughs) Mistake. M-I-S-S-P-A-K-E. Of course, that's even if you consider a place like Mississippi at all. So between Mobile and Alabama and New Orleans and Louisiana is what the Weather Channel has inexplicably named a landmass. Hello, Weather Channel. That's called Mississippi. It's what Hurricane Katrina hit and destroyed. Maybe you missed it. The governor of... Oh, man. The landmass controversy. You know, technically, that was a Canadian weather service that did that. Not the actual Weather Channel, right? Yes, but the New York Times did literally the exact same thing like three weeks ago with Hurricane Sally. So Mississippi tends to evoke the very worst of words and images from our neighbors around the country. But what about for those of us with ties to the state? Shalise, when you think of Mississippi, what comes to mind for you? I think of swimming in summertime and singing at outdoor church picnics with my family. Uh, I think of our holidays with 60 and 70 degree weather celebrating my sister's graduation from the Jackson State University, and of course, going to the SWAC battle of the bands. So much fun. What about you? Collard greens, catfish, my grandma's home-brewed sweet mint tea, warm nights on the back porch talking about everything and nothing with friends and family, holding my daughters in my arms for the first time, or proposing to my wife by the reservoir. For those of us with ties to the state, especially in our generation, these are the sights, tastes, smells, and memories that make up so much of what we think of when we think of Mississippi. It's our home, and the people of Mississippi are our family. But just like every home and family across the country, it's not perfect. In fact, it contains, along with those special moments, the hard truths of trauma and tragedy, from slavery to Jim Crow and beyond. This is not something that anyone in Mississippi, no matter what their background or political alignment, would argue. Our family discussion has always been about what to do with that reality not whether or not it exists. Several years ago, when we started this podcast, we used stars as an example of how people of various perspectives and backgrounds can look at the same image, but take different meanings from it. Obviously, this was our entry point to talking about the now former Mississippi flag and the Confederate imagery that was so prevalently featured on it. As we conclude this podcast with a look behind the scenes at the state capitol and a look ahead to the new flag design referendum, We want to ask you to keep considering this question of how you view our home and what a place like Mississippi means to you. I'm Bo York. And I'm Shalise Grove. And for one last time, y'all, this is Red Flag. So here we are, the series finale of Red Flag. Cue the applause. And from all accounts, it does have a happy ending. Now, to be honest, when we first started, what did you think it would take to be able to say that out loud? Wow. Honestly, I don't know. Nothing short of an act of God. 
And you're not wrong. It's been quite a journey for so many in our state who have fought for this change. And with the November 3rd flag referendum set up to hopefully secure a new design, it's only right we tip our hat to the women and men in Mississippi legislature who have worked tirelessly to see this through to the end. We concluded our last episode promising to use the finale as a look into the closed-door conversations surrounding the flag vote this past July. Today, we're joined by Representative Chris Bell to help take us inside the room where it happened. (laughs) Seriously, though? What? Never mind. (laughs) Christopher M. Bell, uh, Representative, House District 65, Jackson, Mississippi. Aside from being a member of the Mississippi House of Representatives for District 65, Representative Christopher Bell is a graduate of the Jackson State University. He also sits in the Board of Trustees for Leadership Greater Jackson. And despite his longtime commitment to Mississippi, we figured out that we both had ties to the Midwest. So let's just say this interview almost got cut very okay, short. That's fine. Hold on one question. Mm-hmm. You a Pistons fan? I am. Okay, we got problems. Cut it. How dare you? <laughs> Kidding aside, so let's learn a little bit about Representative Bell and how he found his way from Chicago to Mississippi at an early age. Yeah, that was um, that was a difficult deal. We came here for a uh, family reunion and uh, enjoyed it so much. Told my mother, you know, we should move to Mississippi. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking <laughs> at the time, but uh, I mean, I enjoyed being around relatives that I had never met before. So I had so much fun. My mother agreed, and probably a couple of years later, ended up moving to Mississippi. Uh, I attended Jackson State University, Callaway High School, then Jackson State University, and the rest was history. I got involved in politics fresh out of college. Uh, I worked for a law firm, uh, Walker & Walker, and uh, they were heavy into volunteering for various campaigns. So I campaigned for former state representatives, judges, uh, city council, board of supervisors. And my family was also very active in the political process during my years in Chicago. So it was inbred in me. Uh, it was in my blood. And uh, it was just something that I figured that I would end up doing once I got old enough to understand the game of politics, which I'm still learning. Representative Bell has been a supporter of changing the flag since before he was in office. Both his time as a citizen and as an elected official have given him an up-close and personal perspective on the flag debate over the past several decades. What stands out first and foremost was the 2001 when they had the referendum. You had a lot of individuals that were for having a vote for the flag, whether to change it or keep the flag. At that time, you had a lot of individuals that were very hostile toward the changing of the flag. Um, You saw it in radio ads, you saw it in people um, that lived on Highway 49, going, leaving Jackson, going to Hattiesburg into the Gulf Coast, where you literally at that time, you saw people uh, line the highway up full of Confederate and the state of Mississippi flag to uh, ensure people to let them know that, you know, we weren't going to change. You weren't going to change that flag. That flag meant something to these people. It was, uh, it was their religion. It was almost like their false god. They believed in that flag so much. Fast forward to uh, the recent years, 2015, you talk about Charleston, South Carolina, where you had the uh, murders. We had our Speaker of the House to come out for the first time, the first Republican in leadership to come out and say that, you know, hey, I'm for changing this flag. My spiritual belief, my Christianity, uh, how I believe in the Lord will not accept, let me accept this individual for murdering these innocent people. 
as a result of him being racist. So that that opened up a lot of eyes on the Democratic side that, okay, we have the Speaker of the House now. And we kept filing legislation to get rid of the flag. And they all died in committee. I mean, I think I even filed maybe one or two bills. Uh, you had individuals that had been filing bills since they had been in legislature for over 15, 20 years. And all those bills constantly, consistently died in committee as a result of not having enough votes to change the flag that come out of committee to change the flag. And the speaker had been adamant in his discussion with us about how he had been processing and trying to get individuals to, to see his way that the flag was a relic that used to be put in a museum. He came up short. Fast forward to George Floyd, protests all around the world, the nation, that sentiment changed. Uh, it changed for the better for us in Mississippi because you had a lot of individuals that actually started realizing that this flag was a hindrance not only to the state's growth, but the growth of, of each and every individual that lives in the state. We have a lot of individuals that, like I said earlier, believe in that flag as if it's religion. And it's, and it's unfortunate. But um, the murder of George Floyd set in place the actions of civil rights movement, activists, businesses, individuals that just realized that, you know, we weren't going to tolerate racism anymore. We weren't going to tolerate treating black and brown people uh, with disrespect in the way that that officer did George Floyd. And uh, honestly, the marches around the world, I mean, to, to look out and see people marching in France and New Zealand, and Australia, I mean, in Germany, you have people marching all over the world. And then, of course, it comes to the states and everybody's marching. And, you, and it's not just all black folks that are marching. It's a rainbow of people that are marching. In the terms and the words of Jesse Jackson, you literally had a, a rainbow coalition of individuals that came together, despite their differences, that understood that this is not going to be tolerated anymore. And fast forward to the state of Mississippi, with that respect, uh, you had individuals that were still holding on to that flag. We had the marches in, in Jackson um, and the uh, Black Lives Matter group here in Jackson did an excellent job in putting the protest together, peaceful protests. The numbers exceeded what anybody on the outside would have ever thought. And it was, uh, it was, it was eye-opening. It made me happy to see young folks take over and, and understand that, you know, it's the next man up, per se. Uh, it's their time. They understand that. And without that push here locally, I think that it would have been a difficult task of getting this flag removed. As Representative Bell mentioned, a number of bills and propositions have come up and died at committee over the past few years. Some had similarity to what would ultimately pass, and some, well, definitely did not. Yeah, I mean, you had you had some bills that were introduced that would uh, allow a commission to be set up to have the flag removed and uh, study study group or focus group on new flags. You had bills that basically say just removal of the flag and utilize the, the Lawrence Stennis flag. Uh, you just had a number of bills. And I mean, I'm talking about bills dating back all the way to the early 70s, where you had members, Henry Kirksey, filing bills, filing legislation to remove the flag. So, I mean, you had a lot of individuals, both black and white, surprisingly, uh, that wanted to see the flag removed. You know, as we made the decision to push the release of this episode back to after the new flag design was up for vote, I was concerned that it would be impossible to bring us all back mentally and emotionally 
to the climate of June-July 2020. With health concerns from a global pandemic, racial tensions on the rise with national protests calling for justice, and political anxieties at an all-time high. And yet, as we sit down to record at the end of September, with the national mishandling of COVID-19, the Louisville court's recent decision to allow Breonna Taylor's killers to walk free, and an election right around the corner, well, you get the idea. Back in July, protesters had taken to the streets, calling for systemic changes in response to police killings of unarmed African-Americans, including Breonna Taylor, but sparked by the recorded death of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police officers. Many across the nation were forced to consider the systems and symbols that still promoted racism in America today. But for Mississippians, this wasn't a new conversation, and it only added fuel to the fire for people who took to the streets demanding change. Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I had mixed emotions about being at the rally. Uh, one, uh, when it started off with the rally, and they indicated that through media, uh, social media, and other methods, saying that they didn't need any help. So. You know, that was like, okay, you don't need any help, but you're eventually going to need some help. I've learned that a long time ago. We all going to need some help on some things. But it also brought me to, I think it was 91 maybe, where I was a student in Jackson State University, and we marched on the Capitol because they were trying to merge our HBCUs and basically uh, try to get rid of uh, Valley State University. So we had course, HBC students from HBCUs across the state come and march from Jackson State University to the Capitol. So that, that brought back that memory of, of being in college and seeing those guys and ladies out there marching for what they believed was right. And it felt good in my heart to see that. I was overjoyed and anxious uh, because I knew that we had already set up, certain members of the legislature had already set up a uh, meeting for that following Monday uh, to discuss the uh, removal of the flag. Shalise, I don't know that I've shared this with you before, but right before I moved from Jackson to Houston, I'll never forget a breakfast I had with my dad. A gentleman he knew came up to our table to say hello and was upset to learn that I was moving. He actually doubled back after leaving the restaurant to ask me not to leave the state. Now, there were many reasons why we made the move, But wanting to make a point, I told the well-meaning older gentleman, bluntly, if you want me to stay, change the flag. His response kind of made my skin crawl. He said, you know, Democrats will never change that flag. Only Jesus and football can do that. Wow. You serious? (laughs) Yeah. That struck a chord. But despite his dismissal of efforts that modern Democrats have taken to continue the fight for change and keep the debate alive, there was some level of truth in his words. The flag would ultimately only be changed after both church leaders and football coaches from the universities across the state came to the Capitol to force the issue with the Republicans who had been holding it up. It would only move forward with bipartisan support. It's a critical component to lasting change. And all that starts with a simple conversation. Things or plan. I'd love to know more about that meeting that you mentioned. Uh, I remember seeing other interviews talking about support from uh, both sides of the aisle. I think in particular, I remember uh, Missy McGee. It was a chance meeting walk into the coffee maker, pick up some coffee, and Missy passes me by and stops me and says, hey, if you guys are going to do anything about the flag, you know, count me in. Uh, I want to be a part of it. I think we can get it done. It's time. And, and I talked to Missy, and we had a great conversation. I got my coffee. I came back to my desk, and that was probably that Thursday uh, prior to the rally. And I sat on it for 24 hours because – 
I was excited to hear her say that, but I was also thinking, I've heard this before and I'm tired of being disappointed. That Friday, we came in and I talked to uh, my good friend, Representative Jarvis Deutsch. I said, hey, uh, let's go ahead and move forward with this flag. I set the meeting date for Monday and I'll send it out and we'll go from there. So Monday, June 8th, 3 p.m., room 114, uh, that's where it went down. Uh, you had a bipartisan group of individuals that came together and discussed ways uh, to introduce legislation and how to get rid of the flag. And we were all charged with going out and talking to various members of each delegation to see what type of support we could get in the removal of, to have a suspension resolution first and foremost, and then the removal of the flag. So when we left that room, I mean, I was optimistic that we could get it done. We had 12 members that we could literally count on from the Republican Party that were up to voting for the suspension resolution. We also had some members from the Senate that had came, made conversation or had conversation with. They were up to it, but they wanted to remain silent. They wanted to stick their votes close to their vest, keep their votes close to their vest and not let everybody know what they were going to do. And, and we respected that and we remained silent. Now, the process of it was, uh, was interesting. I've called it the most organized, unorganized campaign in the history of this uh, state capitol. Which is very Mississippi, uh, to say the least. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You had individuals that were attending focus dinners and didn't realize they were going to focus dinners. You had folks that were being contacted by different businesses and different individuals that were in their circle of trust. Those individuals that certain Republican legislators leaned on for information and help and support. And it was fascinating. It was really fascinating to see. It was fascinating to just sit back and watch everything go in motion. And it was really difficult as well as to sit back and not say anything, because that was one of the concerns that we would have, that we didn't want any Democrats to say anything out of the way that would spark those Republicans who had committed or were on the verge of committing to vote for that suspension resolution to switch. One of the criticisms that has been leveled on the movement to change the state flag was that despite it being a statewide issue, the conversation was largely dominated by voices from the capital city in Jackson. And to be fair, having featured almost exclusively voices from Jackson, we have not done a good job at debunking that claim. You're right. But Jackson certainly did not stand alone in pushing this issue. The efforts came from across the state, especially the coast and the delta. They should definitely not be understated. There is a group of individuals, I will say this, that go by the name of the flag crew. And that consists of a couple of consultants, members from the uh, Coastal Delegation, and you have a couple of members from the Delta Delegation. It was interesting. You had a lot of individuals from the Delta. Let's just be honest. The Delta, majority Black, African-American representation. You knew those members on board 100%. Their conversations that they had outside of uh, the media and outside of the chamber with individuals were were key as well. You had individuals from the coast. You had Sonia Williams Barnes, Representative Sonia Williams Barnes from the coast. She was whipping her coast Republican delegation up. You had um, Representative Tracy Rosebud from uh, the Delta, from uh, Tutwiler. He has relationships uh, with members of the Republican Party. So it, it was very... It was very interesting to watch and to sit back and, and just enjoy. If there's if there's any enjoyment in watching individuals pressure other folks into vote, <laughs> um, but um, you yeah, know it was it was a good it was a good feeling. 
I think when it's for a good cause, I think that's perfectly fine. Very much so. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we really need to get into the details here because there was at least one aspect of the motion that would ultimately pass that took us by surprise. In many respects, the idea of changing the flag, while not an easy task, was a more unifying prospect than what should fly in its place. Over the last several years, various designs had made a pretty significant headway at building momentum for a new emblem, most notably the hospitality flag, which was designed by Lauren Sennis. Her design in particular was a signal to the world that Mississippi was willing to rally behind an image with symbolic and albeit controversial connections to our history, while painting an elegant banner to represent our future. However, when the motion was made public, it became clear that the Stennis design, along with many that had been circling social media, would not qualify due to the surprising requirement for the new design. Surprising indeed. While one obvious requirement was that the new flag cannot obtain any Confederate iconography, it must, however, contain the words, in God we trust. It was a Monday. I can't remember which Monday. It could have been June 16th. But we had a meeting um, with a group of individuals and they discussed the the poll that was conducted for individuals on changing the flag. And what they found in that poll was that uh, 65% of the individuals favored in God we trust uh, over the Confederate emblem. That was presented to leadership and they ran with it. Uh, The proposal was done um, by a group of uh, ministers that they added in God we trust on there. And it was just the the only thing that you could get those individuals that held on to this flag to bite on. They accepted the fact that we can take in God we trust versus uh, the Confederate emblem. Now, does that mean that that's in their heart and and mind? I doubt it. But um, that's what they can sell to their constituents. Mm. And I think that's why they went with it. You said the polling, uh, who was in the polling was done by the, the ministers or who, who was it done by? Yeah, it was a, it was a group, an outside group. I can't remember the name of the group that did it, but it was also uh, ministers, local members, ministers were involved in this polling. Hmm. Was a out of curiosity, was it specifically just those two options or were there a number of things like, you know, like a magnolia or something of that? Nature? Yeah, magnolia flag was considered uh, and God we trust was considered seal the state of Mississippi and the current flag with the seal in the middle of the flag. That was another proposal. Interesting. So all of those were kind of positioned out and polled to see which one. Correct. Could Okay. That's fascinating. Okay. That's, that's really, really interesting. We knew uh, that if any bill was to come out, that it would come out by the speaker of the house. It's just a given uh, on our side. We know that if any type of bill of significance would have the speaker's name and the speaker pro tem Jason White's name on it, we were fine with that. We knew it was it was coming. Um, the makeup of the commission, the three picks by the governor, lieutenant governor, speaker of the house, fine with that. Uh, we want to make sure we as Democrats want to make sure that we made this as easy as possible for those individuals on the opposite side of the aisle to be comfortable enough to vote for this bill. Because at the end of the day, we had the entire world looking at the state of Mississippi. And if you know about anything about Mississippi, People here hate to be watched, <laughs> and and two, they hate to put have pressure put on them, and they had everything on. I was just happy that uh, we came to a conclusion that we were able to muster up enough votes to get the suspension resolution passed. 
So like, can we just talk about this for a second, completely off script? Because I'm, I'm curious as to your thoughts when you first saw that, because I, I you know, I mean, I'm being serious later. It was, it was a surprise, right? <laughs> off script thoughts for sure. Um, I think it sounds like very classic Southern cognitive dissonance, because for me as a person of faith, and I'm sure for you too, having Confederate iconography for the last several hundreds of years does not align with my Christian values in any way. Yeah, it's almost like there's kind of this forced painted line that was being injected here of like, oh, we're going from Confederacy to God. I mean, one could make the argument that for some, the you know Confederate symbols are kind of like false gods, <laughs> that there is like this extreme <laughs> weight there. But no, I'm, I'm right there with you. It seemed a little off. Not to mention the fact that, you know, I mean, the big argument for changing the flag is to make everything more inclusive. And you know, as you mentioned, we're both people of faith, but at the same time, not everybody in state is a person of faith. Yeah, it's clearly a political prop for the legislature to argue over. Argue. It certainly <laughs> seemed that way, right? Like that was yeah. that was one thing I remember thinking like, I wonder if this is being used by the Republicans to try to force something that maybe Democrats would normally not get behind and say like, well, hey, if you don't, you know, like basically wanting them to fight it so that the flag vote would be killed before it could actually go <laughs> past uh, or go to the floor. Or if it was the other way around, like would were Democrats using it as a political token to Republicans like, hey, all right, now if y'all vote against this, Nate, you're now voting against God. Like, how are you going to do that, Republicans? Like there was kind of like, you know, you could see this as a political chip. This was not a grand statement of faith from our local community or from our legislatures. This was using our faith as a political token, which is never, I mean, I personally am not, <laughs> I find that offensive <laughs> to be honest. Oh, absolutely offensive. But I, I for sure think we can agree that this was not any kind of hill that Democrats would die on. Exactly. And it was very <laughs> frivolous for people just to bring it up in, in period at all. And I think you mentioned before that our vexillologists certainly would have some uh, points to argue about how this can be conducive to a good flag design that really represents us going forward. But right, right. Uh, <laughs> done that. We're already past this. Listen, as you mentioned, one way or the other, there was an overwhelming support of the notion that if this was what it takes to get the job done, the Mississippi legislature was ready and willing to make that compromise. And to be honest, so were many of the supporters both in and out of the faith community. I personally had conversations with Mississippi atheists and agnostics whose main response, while not universal, but could pretty much be summed up in one word. Praise him, you know, and (laughs) (laughs) hallelujah is right. But for, I think for Representative Bell, that moment came only a short time earlier than the rest of us, as it became pretty clear that at long last, they had the votes. It was a Thursday before the vote. I had a conversation with a, a friend of mine on the second floor. He came to me and he said, hey, we only need two votes. And one of them, we are, I know we're going to get tonight. And I said, okay. So later that night, about, it was a Friday night at 11.20 p.m., I got a phone call. The person on the other line said, hey, we got both of the votes. At that moment, <laughs> I remember shedding a tear because I was like, is this really going to happen or or is Bill Buckner going to let the ball roll between his legs, you know, but it was a, a exciting feeling. And that was the moment when I realized that we could get it done. Close machine, Madam Clerk. I vote of 85 yeas and 34 nays resolution passes.
and again, we recommend that you go back and listen to those debates if you haven't already. So the commission was called, consisting of nine members total, three members of which were appointed by the Speaker of the House, three members appointed by the Lieutenant Governor of Mississippi, and three by the Governor himself. Former State Supreme Court Justice Reuben V. Anderson was elected as the commission's chairman, and together they assessed over two, wait for it, thousand public submissions and whittled them down to 25 choices. And eventually they landed on... Whoa, 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 whoa. hang on, hang on. We're not going to talk about the mosquito flag? Really? Earlier <laughs> this week, the commission released the flags that made it into the second round. One of the fan favorites announced into the second round did so accidentally. <laughs> oh, we could most def talk about that. An entire separate series for the mosquito flag and the roach flag, to be honest. <laughs> but I, I kind of like letting it exist in the footnotes of this whole situation as a fully localized inside joke. So if you know... You know, fair enough. And in the end, the quote, new Magnolia flag was selected and will now go up for vote by referendum this November 3rd. Let me say that again. It will now go up for vote, folks in Mississippi, by referendum this November 3rd. And look, it's not perfect, right? Of course not. But at this point, who cares? (laughs) We talked to so many people who participated in the 2001 referendum and voted against the alternative design then for the sole reason that the design wasn't their ideal replacement. And almost every single one of them regret their vote. So let's get real here. This is it, people. Securing this new flag will put an end to that whole ordeal and allow people of Mississippi to move on to more important and impactful moves toward building a brighter tomorrow. And regardless of what will fly in its place, the removal of the old flag marks a new chapter for Mississippi. And I think Representative Bell really said it best here. I would say uh, for those that are away, that are not living in Mississippi, to continue to pray for us. Uh, It's a long journey, but I think that uh, we're on the right path. And um, I get a little emotional about this because, you know, I never thought I would see that flag not fly in the state of Mississippi. As many times I drive to work and drive to that capital and I see that emblem, and I know that they didn't mean anything for us, for my people, African-Americans, and to see it gone. Um, means a lot. Really does. So here we are now. A new day has dawned as empty flagpoles stand ready to be adorned across the state of Mississippi like a blank canvas brimming with potential and beckoning the artists to come and paint a vision of the future. Such a pretty picture, Bo. (laughs) But before we go, we should really take the time to highlight what was a staple of the Red Flag series that punctuated each mic drop moment along the way. Every episode, we've left things by transitioning to the chorus of a song called Nightmare by Clouds and Crayons. Shout out to Aston, she rocks. The music of Clouds and Crayons is available on SoundCloud as well as their Facebook page. And by the way, thank you, thank you so much for allowing us to access their entire catalog for the creation of the show. We could not have done it without you. What's probably not obvious based on its usage each episode is that the song isn't speaking to the horrors of waking up and realizing that you live in the physical state of Mississippi, but the sobering realization that the negative associations that people across the nation ascribe to Mississippi are actually widespread and deeply rooted in the history and more importantly, the present of America as a whole. Please remember that the irony was lost on no one that the day that Mississippi took down its Confederate banner in the name of creating a more unified state... The 45th president of the United States was promoting videos of his supporters chanting white power. As we close out this series, it only seems right that we put the message of Clouds and Crayon's nightmare back into its appropriate perspective, not as a lament for us as Mississippians, but as a challenge to those of you tuning in from all across America. 
Studios and hosted by Bo York and Shalise Grove. Special thanks to Rachel James Terry, Roderick Red, Derek Russell, Daisy Stackpole, Tyler Tadlock, Clouds and Crayons, H.P. Stewart, and Lorraine York, and all of our guests who joined us for every single episode throughout the series. To listen back to the entire series, visit redflagpodcast.com, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. Feel free to reach us at show at redflagpod.com. Cause I'ma tell you one more again Since you decided to sleep in When all your leaders flip the switch and show their grins Welcome to Mississippi Mississippi